This is the Art of Darkness podcast with Kevin Kautzman and Brad Kelly. We're a couple of very online writers interested in the dark side of what drives creative people to create against all odds. This show is about art and the people who make it, what it costs them, and what it takes to bring something unique and impactful into the world. Each episode, we excavate the life and work of an artist you might think you know. Don't worry, they're all safely dead. On every episode, we try and find out just what the hell was wrong with them and how they worked through their darkness to create something that lives on after them and continues to move culture. Find us online at artofdarkpod.com and on Twitter at artofdarkpod. All right, we are back episode of the podcast about the dark side of creativity, art of darkness. I'm Kevin Couchman, joined from the great state of Michigan by the one and only, the singular, the man with the axe, the man who's <laughs> shopping at your door, Brad Kelly. Brad, how are you? I'm doing good, Kevin. Yeah, you know, I, I, there's an axe features prominently in my Twitter profile. It has nothing to do oh. with The Shining, really, but that's a good, that's a good little coincidence. I'm doing great, Kevin. How are you? I'm super never right. better. I am, right. I'm so excited for season three of Art of Darkness we have coming. You want to get to want to get to artofdarkpod.com. Click on the little button. There's a trailer Brad made. We've got a lot of cool stuff coming for Patreon. We've got the book club. So many cool things. And today you probably already picked up on what we're going to talk about. This is a darkroom episode with our friend Michael Nathanson. Hey, Michael, he is an actor, yes. writer, producer, and now the host of the Playing Dead podcast. One of us. One of us. Oh my God. <laughs> yes. Welcome to, welcome to uh, Art of Darkness, Michael. Thanks. Thanks for letting me play dead with you guys. Of course. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. The dead and space. Yes, this is the dead space. And uh, I just think it's so on, Brad, on brand for us. This is your podcast. The concept of your show is a very... It feels like a, for us, we focus on the dark side of creativity and dead artists. And your pod uh, has kind of a, a similarly dark theme. Do you want to tell people about it? We, yeah, I would say we focus on the creativity of dead characters, of art, living artists creating dead characters. Um, yeah, you know, I, <clears throat> excuse me, I got the idea uh, when I was shooting The Punisher, knowing that I was going to die on this Marvel TV show. And I was like, well, how can I continue my journey through um, this world? And like, I just, I love being a part of the MCU so much and like getting to you know go there every day and interact with these people. I would always show up at the Marvel offices just to like hang out and I don't know, take pictures. And I was just a fan, you know, I was like, how can I continue this journey? And I had this idea, well, what if I just interviewed other actors who died in uh, initially it was going to be Marvel stuff and then it kind of has expanded to other, other properties and such. But um, yeah, that was the, idea, the initial idea. It'd be fun to have sort of like a conversation inside conversation from someone who actually had the experience. Cause so many podcasts when they interview actors about acting or about films or about process becomes sort of, it becomes kind of like a sycophantic weird thing where it's like, you know, someone's a fan and they're just trying to like, they're asking the same sort of rote questions that come up all the time in these interviews. And I was like, well, I feel like I have a different platform from which to speak, which is the experience platform and, and having my own uh, resume and training and all that. And so it just evolved. And uh, ultimately we uh, ended up doing it uh, with Lionsgate, um, Lionsgate Sound, which is the new division of Lionsgate, which is uh, 
basically their their new podcast studio and creating their own IP in that space. And we're one of the first podcasts on there. And we came out three weeks ago. I want to say we came out last, I think it was the last week of November was our first episode. And yeah, in our first week, we got top pick podcast in The Guardian, which was really cool. And they wrote a really nice little review of us, which was great. Um, and we've gotten some good press. Um, we have we are three episodes in, four episodes in. I think our fourth yeah. episode just came out this Week past four. week. They get re- yeah, yeah they like get released that. every Tuesday. Um, <laughs> and you can get it on Apple and Spotify. If you just search for Playing Dead, it usually comes up. And um, yeah, it's been a gas. I got to do uh, be a guest at uh, LA Comic Con last weekend. Um, oh, cool. Where I uh, we did sort of a coming out party, as it were for the podcast it had just been released that week. And uh, we did sort of a live show and we had Keith David on stage with us, which was awesome. Keith David from Nope and They Live and um, uh, They Live The Thing. And, you know, mm-hmm. he's died yeah, in so many great things. Dr. Cool. Facilier yeah. and Prince of the Frog. And, um, the guy's had one of the great, deaths. one of the great dyers in Hollywood. Oh, really. he's amazing. And yeah. that voice yeah. is so beautiful. And yeah. he is the most yeah. beautiful, generous soul. He was very kind to come and do this. And we had a great time. We wrote eulogies for some of his characters and he read them on stage with, to mute, to set to music. And it was just a rad show we had there. And so hoping to do more live shows of the podcast with some cool guests at different cons and maybe, you know, sort of we've got some things in the works, hopefully. But for now, um, it's a sit back and relax and wait for Tuesdays to come out where we have different guests come on and each episode focuses on a different sort of property. So like there'll be an episode about stranger things and there'll be an episode about, you know, stranger thing deaths. And one, it was about sort of horror movie deaths. And um, one is about child actor deaths, you know, not child actors who died, but children who played, who, you know, had to play out famous deaths in, in cinema. And so for that one, we had Rufio, uh, Dante Bosco. Oh yeah. And hook. And then we had a Noah Hathaway who played Atreyu and, never ending story. And, um, and wow. then we also had Paula Rhodes, who's a really big, uh, video game, uh, voiceover actor. And she voices like all the silent Hill or resident mm-hmm. evil, all that stuff. She's always playing like famous kids that like will kill you or that you can kill in video games. <laughs> nice. Um, and she talked all about like, you know, death deaths in video, how to play deaths in video games as a motion capture voiceover artist. It was really cool. And, and, uh, wow. Yeah, like, and each of those episodes is sort of like that weird journey with all these different people in terms of their their career and giving personal insights in terms of their process. And you get to hear a lot of like cool inside stories that I think they haven't told before. And I think there's something about feeling comfortable with me as an actor. Uh, I would say the majority of them know who I am going in. Uh, but, you know, it's like, I think they understand that there's a shorthand there. So it kind of cuts the chase really quickly. So it's, again, not those sort of rote questions about career and, you know, uh, what is it like to work yeah. with a famous director? And, you know, yeah, like right, that. right. You know, it's you're, like, not a, you're not an entertain, you're not an entertainment reporter or something. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's not an E, totally it's not an E channel. Exactly. And I'm, and I'm not on a red carpet mm-hmm. trying to get them to say nice things about whatever they're, you know, whatever the studio wants them to say. Um, right. And it's been cool and it's very unfiltered, uncensored. And the episodes have led to some pretty intense personal conversations and um, about not just about their, you know, about their lives, about process, about their history of their careers and where they are now. And a lot of them have, you know, left the acting world, but still have these sort of iconic <clears throat> roles and deaths that they played and still go to cons to sign stuff or still get stopped on the street. And, um, you know, and that's the thing about, especially when you die as like a famous, famous character, 
you know, there, there's something about that that kind of stays with the public consciousness forever and kind of in, in, ingrains you into like the psyche of fandom uh, in a way that's very unusual. And so, you know, hoping to do a season two, hoping to get to some TV deaths, that'd be really cool. We have a lot of like, I have a lot of thoughts about where to keep this going, but it's the kind of thing that just can keep going forever, you know? 100%. How many people have died sure. in, in cool ways? And, right, right. right. And, and, and everybody always has an idea. Everyone's always like, Oh, yeah. you know what you should do? It's, yeah. I get that all the time. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, sure. we get that. Yeah. That's one of the ways we knew this pod was going to have a life when people started peppering us with requests and you should do this. Right. So that's really cool. Yeah, I hope your your podcast has a great long life. Uh, and at the risk of asking one of those cliche questions, I think this has a little more nuance. Uh, than, than some <laughs> no, there was no here. like, I, there was no judgment on anybody else. <laughs> no, no. Podcast. And that's not what you guys, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, it's just, side of the street. Yeah. yeah, I just wanted to give, uh, you know, actors a chance to kind of express themselves in a more nuanced way. And I think that's maybe what I was. Yeah. Thinking. And there's there's a big difference in talking to somebody about the thing that they did and talking to them when they're in the midst of a promo run, too, mm. I would think. Right. It's like this thing's already out. We're, we're kind of nobody came on, on to promote yeah. anything. It wasn't about yeah. I'm coming on your podcast because I want to promote X. It was literally. Right. Half of them were friends of mine and half of them were just people I admired and loved and we were able to get because they were curious and interested in having a real conversation. And so, yeah, yeah, hopefully yeah, it comes across. A different vibe. The yeah. point that I wanted to make, which kind of dovetails into a question, yeah. and I think you address it on your first episode, but it's a case of the stakes being extraordinarily high, not only in the scene and in the context of, the, of a series, let's say if you die in a, a, a television series, you're out of you're out of work for the moment. Right. I mean, yeah. it's 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 yeah. extremely there aren't many other careers where you you simultaneously get to have this highlight moment uh, mm -hmm. and on an on screen death that everybody's going to talk about at the water cooler. And then also you're working with your agent, I assume, to line up the next day. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. look, in my case, I knew I was going to die from before I got the job. So I wasn't like a big surprise. I've told the story in my podcast. And I, I think I've told it before, but uh, oh. Here comes my wife with a delicious uh, cup of coffee. coffee. Look at yes, that. Yes, very good. Very good. <laughs> Hello. Smile. All right. She's wearing my, she's uh, borrowed my Nakatomi Christmas sweater. I don't know if you saw oh, it. Oh, nice. <laughs> All right. Nakatomi Excellent. Christmas party sweater. It's pretty rad. My, yeah. my second uh, favorite Christmas movie, only uh, second to Eyes Wide Shut, which we're doing. <laughs> And eyes wide shut. You're calling that watch. a Christmas movie? <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. It's a, it is a Christmas movie, isn't it? Once, uh, once people decide, we get into that in a second. A I want to talk movie. to you guys about eyes wide shut for a yeah. second before we launch into. Okay. Well, well, all right. Yeah. Sorry, before I was interrupted, tell me what the hell I was. Talking we, yeah, we were talking about the just the the this oh, whole the phenomenon stuff. of dying in the yeah. dying in a thing. And you, yeah. Luckily, it. I knew. I but I was saying, yeah, I told the story before, but like, I, I nobody else in the cast knew I was going to die, and it came as a really big shock to a lot of people because I was the first series regular who died. And I remember coming to the read through of that episode, and we had the showrunner and all the big executives there, and then more executives from Marvel on the TV screen and Netflix and everybody. And we got to the end of the episode and like it reads my death scene and everyone and I stood up and I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> everybody just froze. Like yeah. thinking that nobody had told me. And then I and, and I let it hang for a second. And I was like, just kidding. I know. And everyone was hysterical. <laughs> but I got them, man. I pranked them hard. All the other actors. Yeah, that's so awesome. It was that moment where yeah. they were just like, that poor bastard. But. I mean, look, it happens, you know, it definitely happens mid season or, or mid show, or it's different in a movie yeah. where it's like, 
you know you're going to die in a movie, right? Or unless it's a franchise and you're like, you're hoping to get into multiple sequels or whatever. But, you know, I, I would say for the most part, actors know when they're going to die in something. And yeah. it doesn't make the, the, the sting of that any less. Like, mm-hmm. especially, you know, in my case, even knowing before I started, you know, I'm deep into the season and filming and getting to know these people and like coming to work and like, it's like, Oh, look, there's the battle van. There's Frank's thing. There's this, there's that. And I'm just, it's so cool. And then you realize, Oh wait, my last episode is coming and then I'm done. Right, so it doesn't right. like make the, make it sting less, but um, there is something, there is something to be said for getting out when the getting out's good too, you know, like when something yeah. is cool and people are watching it and you have this, like, you know, I wouldn't want to go out in a shitty way. Like I got, I went out right. in a pretty, pretty baller way i think in terms of a marvel character but i know it was great and and i i mean i the punisher that season of punisher is Mm. one of my favorite things that came has come out of the mcu and one thing about it i mean your death with i've watched other shows where a character dies and sometimes you can feel it in the episode you're like why are we all of a sudden paying all this attention to this guy oh Mm. that's because like walking Mm -hmm. dead or something it's like oh because he's oh yeah you always they always tip their hand on walking (laughs) dead that like that that character's finally getting an episode and just yeah yeah, yeah, but that was not the case of the Punisher. Like, that came people out. People were surprised. Like, yeah, people seemed surprised. Although, it's funny when you talk about it because it's like, it's the fucking Punisher. Like, everyone dies. Like, there were three no, series no, regulars no. left, I think, at the end of the first season. So, but <laughs> right. no, I'm, I'm really proud of being in that season of television. I think it was, I think they finally did the Punisher right. I think John is amazing. And that whole, yeah. the universe they created where, where they were like really, real human stories. And it was a nice mix of like, comedy and drama and i think it was yeah for my money one of the best things that's come out of marvel tv or movies and so i'm proud to be a part of it and you know i could get resurrected somewhere somehow i could play another character you put me under heavy makeup Mm -hmm. i could show up somewhere else right Uh, (laughs) right. no one's called me but uh you know i'm waiting for dc to call me and be in the next batman movie that's what i really want to do (laughs) all right there you go go. all right i'm a batman fan i'm a I don't have like this super allegiance to Marvel or DC, but my favorite, favorite thing in the whole world, comic book wise and character wise, if we're talking about that world is Batman. And so mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> I, I crave it. Um, well, there's always going to be another Batman movie on the way, like forever. Right. So right. there's always yeah. a chance, right? It's never over. That is eternal. Franchise. And by well, the way, so look, at, mm, yeah. look at Henry Cavill, yeah. by the way, or Cavill or whatever, how to pronounce his name. That poor yeah. guy. I mean, you could reach the pit. I mean, the guy's fucking Superman. He leaves a hit show to go play Superman yeah. again. And then they're like, oh, yeah. just kidding. Yeah. Nah, like, we're not going to forget it. It never gets. But that's the <laughs> point, right? It's like as an actor, it's you're, you have zero control and you never know exactly. You, you There's no safe space to play as an actor in this industry. Well, that's 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 true, right? Even if your character doesn't get off. I mean, if it's a TV show, you you never know if it's coming. You never really know if it's coming back. And even if it is coming back, it's OK. We get a season out of it. Is that, you know, how long do we get another season after that? Nobody knows. Right. So it's always pretty uncertain. That's why I think you always have to just be so grateful for anything you get mm. in this business. Whether it's like getting, you know, you guys getting to do this podcast, like mm-hmm. it's so nice, you know, to have a successful podcast, like awesome. And just to have anyone listen or watch anything you do in the world <laughs> without the amount of content that's out there, yeah. you, you've already won. So like it's, mm. you have to be just, you just have to like have a sense. Of, and I think Henry probably does. Cause he's like, I, he's probably way richer than any of us combined. He's <laughs> right. done very well for himself. He will have more jobs and more series and more things, but, um, 
it's he's also uh, as handsome. He's also as handsome as a person can. Yeah, be, I know. Fuck that much. Guy. So. Uh, <laughs> he should. He should be knocked out of pedestal. You're right. I'm glad, I'm glad they did that to him. Making making friends in high places in the yeah, industry. Yeah, no, he seems like a nice fellow. He great. really does. Yeah. Wait, going back yeah. to why Eyes Wide Shut is a Christmas movie. Okay, right. Uh, Very yeah. good. Yeah, we're here to talk about Kubrick, especially right. The Shining. We have an Eyes Wide Shut watch party coming up later this month. Yeah. I believe on the 27th. You can find details at artofdarkpod.com. Yes. Yeah. Go. Why is it a Christmas movie? I think we don't have to spend. Movie. I don't Kevin want to spend does. so much time. It's a huge tangent, yeah. but just give me like, sure. yeah. give me just because it like takes place kind of over the holidays. It is. It is obviously a Christmas movie. The <laughs> it happens during Christmas. It ends. It, the very the final image you're left with is is the daughter going missing in a little toy store. The the lights and the lighting of the film are totally informed Wait a by the, palette. the daughter going missing. Yeah, are you not you're not familiar with that little nugget in in Eyes Wide Shut, Brad? No, you wanna, I missed right. that detail. Oh well, that that's something that you can you could probably look up. There are two men who are at the party earlier the the party where the the prostitute overdoses the big mm-hmm. party at the beginning, not that's the party the later. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, um, and. Uh, you played there a tomato. Two... You wouldn't sit down. <laughs> <laughs> What's her name? Mandy. Mandy, you're going to need treatment. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to need help. Um, in any case, there are two men, and you can look the, You can look this up. Uh, there are two men who are sitting in frame at the center of the frame, uh, right at the bottom of this, the sort of large stairwell. And they're they're in suits and ties and they sort of look formal and a little ominous and they are in the toy store later. Mm. And when the final line is delivered, they've lost track of their little girl. So that is, that's one of the mm. little eggs in, in so what's the Eyes idea Wide. that they've kidnapped their daughter? Possibly. Yeah. For, yes. for what purpose at this point though? Well, because he's, because of what he's seen. Yeah. That, this is, this Compromise. is a theory. Yeah. 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 Wait, mm. But what would be the end game? I'm just thinking of plot wise. What would be the end game for them? Because they've already expo- they've already basically threatened him, and he knows that. So what? They're going to kidnap the daughter. And be like, see, we can get to you. Like you really better. Like to reinforce the fact that you better shut the fuck up and speak yeah. about. Yeah, I, I think that's yes. the implication, and then it also uh, thematically aligns with the the father, the father in the costume store who has essentially pimped out his his daughter for for prostitution. It's extraordinarily dark. Uh, mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong, but I'm not the only person to notice this or point this out. So I'm sure that's there. I don't know if that makes it a Christmas movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, wait a second. You didn't answer that question. <laughs> really? The palette of the film. It, yeah. When he goes to see the uh, the street prostitute, he walks into She's her. She's got Christmas lights in her bedroom. Mm-hmm. She's, they've got the really uh, lame Christmas right. tree right in the living room. Maid's Day Off. I mean, it is. It is a movie that happens at Christmas. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. I gotta be honest. Can I just say about Eyes Wide Shut? And I'm sure yes. I'm not the first one to say mm. this. I mean, uh, look, I'm a Stanley Kubrick fanatic. I love it so much. And I have tried to watch Eyes Wide Shut so many times, giving it like years between viewings just to think like, maybe if I come back to it five years later or two years later or six months later, I'll have a different perspective based on my life experience. And I'll be able to somehow connect with this movie. I watched it again, maybe earlier this year to me it still like just sucks and oh. i hate it i hate it and i find it unwatchable now one of the main reasons i find it unwatchable and there are scenes i like about like there are cool scenes in it don't get me wrong it's not just like completely unwatchable to me 
A, it's Tom Cruise, because I just find Tom Cruise at this point unwatchable because he's just such a fucking kook and all his nonsense. I just can't. <laughs> so it's not like he's aged well for me. I mean, the guy's aged well. He looks mm. amazing, but not for that, me. That makes it even better for me. I just maybe it. Maybe that may be for you, but, but I just... Ugh, I just, every single time I'm watching, I'm like, I'd rather be watching any other fucking Stanley Cooper movie. <laughs> every oh, time. Man. And it's, it happens about halfway through, and I'm just like, like I, want, I want to understand. And, and I think maybe part of that is he didn't finish it. That wasn't his final cut. He didn't sign mm. off on that cut. Maybe that thing would have germinated for another five years, like all the other movies, and like he would have cut it eight million mm. ways. Or maybe he would have just been like, fuck this, I made a shit movie, I'm not going to release it. I could see mm. him doing that too. But I think that's to me is like the linchpin for my taste is like, well, he didn't sign off on it, so ah. I'm not signing off on it. Right, 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 right. That's just my time. And I know <laughs> people I... who are very smart and lovely and brilliant who love it. So I'm not denigrating it in that way. Sure. Yeah, it's just difference of difference of opinion, difference of taste, or whatever. It hits you different. Yeah, yeah, it's it. not a big. I mean, Kevin it's not my. It's not my favorite. Awesome. It's not my favorite Kubrick film by any means. I I like it, but it doesn't. It doesn't even really rank in the top three or five, maybe. Um, but. I feel That's so alienated me. right now. <laughs> I love this. I love this movie so much. But but we're here to talk about principally about The Shining. I want That's to a good tease. One. That's mm-hmm. one that you're here to talk about today on this dark room. We are going to do an additional twenty or thirty minutes after this episode for Patreon subscribers. Patreon.com/slash Art of Dark Pod. If you get in now, it's three dollars. On January first, it goes up to five. If you get in now, you're grandfathered in. Give yourself a Christmas present. Totally, and, and, I might take my, and maybe I'll take my sweater off. Ooh. Ooh. See, this guy get yeah. this guy is in show it. business. He's, yeah. the extra, he's yeah. in show business. Yeah, you guys want but a I bump think... in that extra piece of that episode. <laughs> that, that's right. We're gonna get the Nathanson bump. Uh, but <laughs> My hair got very ser- long, but you can't see it yet. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Seriously, on this on this after dark, I'm gonna go deeper into that little Easter egg on Eyes Wide Shut because I hinted at it. I found a, a link. We're also gonna talk about Tarantino's mixed opinion of mm. of Stanley Kubrick. And then we're going to go a little further into an article I found about the making of The Shining, particularly about the kind of cruel and uh, maybe unnecessary things that that Stanley drove Shelley Duvall to insanity, essentially. Right? Correct. Yeah. <laughs> so if you want to hear that extra 20 or 30 minutes, patreon.com slash art of dark pod. All right. So, Michael, you just you light up when when we say The Shining and that's what you kind of want to wanted to talk about. So let's get into it. I mean. Yeah. Is there a is there a better horror movie? Is there a better movie? Uh, it's such a funny, you know, people look at that movie, I think sometimes as his sort of studio film, quote unquote, or his most his most sort of polished studio version of a film. And I think the only reason people say that or two reasons, because it's got Jack Nicholson and because it's based on a Stephen King book. But it is not Stephen King's book at all. It is no. Stanley Kubrick's vision and inspiration and it's obviously and i think all of his movies are on some level autobiographical mm-hmm. um certainly the ones starting with you know starting with like 2001 and as as those his more spectacle movies and i think those were his sort of inward journeys he was taking about his own mm-hmm. sense of humanity and connection to the world and because he was i've seen all those documentaries and you hear um uh leon vitale talking about him and his whole kind of mental I mean, he had kind of a mental breakdown at the end of his life. He kind of became a Howard Hughes-ish style figure, but that started a long time ago. And it's that sort of quest for maybe 
connection to humanity within himself and also that quest for perfectionism that can drive mm -hmm. some artists insane. Mm -hmm. But you don't, you see it in no other movie, in no other movie they ever made do you see that OCD perfectionism artistic vision to the like minutest detail than in The Shining. And so like, I, I don't think there's a better movie that's ever been made in terms of composition of frame, uh, suspense, the way a movie, the way the use of sound design, production design. I mean, it's, it's a, if you want to talk about like a living work of art and it's done, I think in a very sly pop culture way, I think he like mm -hmm. wraps all of that up in this sort of like, Oh, it's a jump scare horror movie based on a Stephen yeah. King book, but it is such a psychologically twisted journey of sight and sound that just is unparalleled. Um, yeah. And it's not a movie, it's an experience. It really is, like it's an experience. You can't compare it to like other, like when people say, is it the best horror movie? Or it's a great horror movie. It's a great, it's a great everything movie. It's got everything in it, but yeah. it, you can't, it's, I, I hate classifying it as anything other than mm. a work of art. Well, yeah, it, I think it's that's like fair. a puzzle. Drop. Yeah, yeah. Ah, very good, very good. I love, I love uh, when we have guests on who uh, need no hand holding. Outstanding. Uh, well, axe swing. Ha! The yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> it it is. It's also a puzzle. It's mm -hmm. a haunt. The movie itself, the film itself, is a haunted house. Yeah. And the, of course, the the documentary Room Two Three Seven is if you're not familiar with it and I'm, I'm sure you've seen it um michael but it's it's just such an outstanding example where you can watch this movie and i have you can watch this movie 30 times and there's always something new to see and there's always something un uncanny or strange it's a it's a real uh, truly rare achievement uh mm -hmm. and fun to watch it's just fun mm -hmm. yeah it's oh, yeah. so fun i watched it over uh i think i was telling kevin this but i i watched it over Thanksgiving, I happen to be, I happen to be separated from my family, not in life or great. <laughs> <laughs> Over Thanksgiving, I was uh, filming something in New York and it just so happened I had, I, I got separated from the family. They were still in California and I ended up spending Thanksgiving just with my parents and they have this house in like sort of in the woods and it's, it was really creepy. And I just decided to watch The Shining one night and uh, they both sort of like migrated to the couch and were like, oh, you're watching The Shining. And they had some like idea that they had seen it once on TV many years ago. But my parents who are getting up there and not necessarily the audience for that movie sat and watched the entire movie with me, like got drawn in the way I got drawn in. And by the end of it, and they were silent and they watched the whole thing and they were like, I don't remember it being that good. <laughs> and it's funny to me that I think a lot of people, I think like we were kind of like, throwing out there a minute ago is that like a lot of people have an, an, an idea of what the shining is and they've seen it at a certain point in their lives. And it's not a movie that a lot of people will go back to a lot because mm. they have, it, it's creepy and it's weird and it's scary and they, it's not fit for every occasion. But when you do go back to it at like a later point in your life, if you weren't like a devotee of it, like I, I mean, I've been obsessed with this since I was a kid, but for those people who kind of like go back to it, you find new things and new ways to sort of clue in and understand what's going on. And, and I don't know, it's, it's, it's a mind fuck, yeah, but in really a like, delightful way. Well, and it's, uh, it's a case of like, if you, if you saw Blade Runner or Alien on VHS, 
on a tube television in 1993. And then now you've got your ultra high that you're, it's a different movie. I think uh, my parents saw the shining on like, you know, Betamax in 1982. Yeah. You know, right. I don't think my parents went to see that on a movie screen and now they have this gigantic television, 4k television. And it's like, Whoa, Nelly, look at those <laughs> right. colors and look yeah, at the there's a lot of detail. And, yeah. the, and the Kubrick estate is famously particular. Uh, nothing, no print makes it way to digital. It's way to digital without frame by frame colorizing mm. and whatever else they they do. Uh, that's yeah. very, very famous. I have, you have yeah. to indulge me. I have two quick like family stories about The Shining that I want to share too. Uh, for my family, it's almost like a coming a coming of age ritual. <laughs> my, my mother, I grew up in North Dakota and we would have blizzards. It would be serious snow and we'd have school days and we would go to the video store, right? Let's go to the mm -hmm. video store. Yeah. And I must have been 11 years old and my mother bundled me up, sent me to the video <laughs> store to bring home the the shining <laughs> to watch and i she was a little uncomfortable i was right. a little uncomfortable but there was also a moment of like it's really important that you see this movie wow. and i did something i didn't send my daughter into a blizzard um uh, but you know when she maybe was you 13, come back maybe you don't you know right, it's yeah right. it's it's almost like our little uh it's a it's a coming of age thing for us it's like it's time it, it's you're yeah. 13 and i showed it to my my daughter uh and she watched it wrapped like like your folks and and a little beat passed when it ended and the first thing she said was what happened <laughs> <laughs> and i looked to her and i said yeah it leaves you in that sense sense mm -hmm. of bewilderment mm -hmm. oh yes. it's a journey it's a journey that you take i said it's an experience when yeah. i told her i said I'm asking, I've watched this movie 30 times i'm asking the same question still yeah. that's the joke <laughs> you know it's a rare thing yeah mm -hmm. Yeah. Who is the caretaker? Right. Mm -hmm. Well, I have an interesting article. Yeah. Uh, this is from Screen Rant. This might be a little food for, for discussion, but this is an article. <laughs> I love that this movie gets this level of, of detail. People pick over this movie frame by frame. Every time Jack Caesar interacts with a ghost from the hotel, there is a mirror in the scene. For example... <laughs> When he encounters the woman in room 237 and later during his conversation with Grady in the red bathroom, with the only exception being the one scene where he can't see the ghost, when Jack is locked up in the kitchen pantry and Grady talks to him from the other side of the door. This, as suggested by many, indicates that the ghosts in the Overlook Hotel are not real, and instead they are mm -hmm. a reflection of Jack's broken psyche. This would put an end to the endless discussion on whether the ghosts were real or not, but there are other scenes that contradict this idea. Every time Danny saw the Grady twins, there were no mirrors around. But that could be his shining, right? Um, same toward the end of the movie where Wendy begins to see ghosts too. Ah, anyway, just yeah. a little uh, detail. Wrong. That's wrong. Hundred <laughs> percent wrong. Ghosts are real. Right. You have to. You have to. You, I think Kubrick himself would say if he were here, if you see it, it's real. Like he, I don't think mm. Kubrick was someone who put something on screen as. Sure, there are metaphors going on and and themes and all sorts of stuff going on in every movie, and his movies are chock full of wonderful, wonderful stuff like that. But he is a visual artist, and I think his the visual medium of film to him was this is this is a, this is realer than real. This is really what's going on. That's just my my feeling from like listening to reading stuff that he's written and stuff that uh, people talking about. Him. I just think that he cared so much about the the visual artistry yeah. of it to, to, to I, kind I, of like say that 
I think it's I think there's certainly go I mean, if you gotta say go the ghosts in the movie are real or not, I think they certainly are. I mean, I think the 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 final the final conclusion on whether something is supernatural about what's happening versus just being Jack's psychosis is that shot of the film the the party poster the the photo of the party from what year what year did the the party happen 1921 yeah i think that that Mm. to me seals it that there's something not that i can explain all the ins and outs of the sort of the rules of the supernatural phenomena but that there is some kind of time ghost thing happening almost definitely there's all the minotaur business the idea that the hotel is a maze the film itself is a maze yeah uh, now, you know, it's it's inspired. So I know I know thinking about the shining the book and thinking about shining the movie, it's almost not all that relevant to compare them. But it Stephen King was inspired by a actual place and wrote apparently wrote most of it in something called the Stanley Hotel, which is a real place that um, you can go to now and visit. And there are stories about ghost hauntings and all kinds of things. I I uh, I got kind of loaded there at the Stanley Hotel bar a few years back and uh, <laughs> where, where wandered wandered the grounds looking for ghosts. Um, uh, what is the name of that town? It's right outside of Estes Park. Um, the town might be Estes Park. I can um, look it up. Yeah, um, it's a it's an S- old hotel. Estes Park, uh, Colorado. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. And it's a beautiful it's a beautiful old hotel. Um, and they wait—is uh, that a coincidence that it was called the Stanley Hotel? Are there any coincidences left? No, right. <laughs> yeah, right. Probably not. Well, no. of course, he. I wanted to correct something that I said on the core episode too, because I we were still getting our our sea legs for Art of Darkness, and every statement we make isn't God's truth. But uh, I said something mm-hmm. like he didn't write the screenplays. What I really meant was he didn't. He always worked from source material. Uh, so obviously, yeah. The Shining is from. He would work on the screenplays with collaborators. In this case, Diane Johnson, who I actually met in Tennessee at a writers' conference, uh, and cool. she just uh, waved waved it off. I'm sure she was sick of talking about it. But she just and said it was all Kubrick. <laughs> it was all the master. Blah blah blah. Didn't want to talk mm. about it. Uh, and I mm. and I certainly don't uh, don't blame her. I'm sure she's just uh, sick of it. But uh, I have some interesting facts here about uh, The Shining. This is from Mental Floss. The Shining was was inspired by an episode of Omnibus. In 1952, Kubrick worked as the second unit director on one episode of the television series Omnibus. But it was a different episode about poker players getting into a fight that inspired parts of The Shining. And this is quoting Kubrick himself. You think the point of the story is that his death was inevitable because a paranoid poker player would ultimately get involved in a fatal gunfight. He said of this particular episode, but in the end, you find out that the man he accused was actually cheating him. I think The Shining uses a similar kind of psychological misdirection to forestall the realization that the super supernatural events are actually happening. So that uh, confirms your mm-hmm. your statements just a few minutes ago, Michael. They're actually happening. Interesting. I, I I've got another little factoid. Uh, Stanley Kubrick didn't even read the screenplay that Stephen King wrote for The Shining. (laughs) According to David Hughes, one of Kubrick's biographers, Stephen King wrote an entire draft of a screenplay for The Shining. However, Kubrick didn't even deem it worthy of a glance, which sort of makes sense when you consider that the director once described King's writing weak. Instead, Kubrick worked with Diane Johnson on the screenplay because he was a fan of her book, The Shadow Knows. The two ended up spending 11 weeks working Mm -hmm. on the script fun wow yeah yeah it's it that is interesting that he wouldn't even look at wouldn't even look at the screen it, it makes you wonder did he even read the novel 
right? Because <laughs> you wouldn't have to read the novel. Somebody could just explain to you base the, the, the gist, the outline, mm. what happens and what's going on. And you could just go from there, right? Well, the novel's I've got, about mm, Stephen King's yeah. own sort of journey of writer's block and also alcoholism, right? And sort of mm-hmm. that disease of alcoholism. That's really what it, and it's about sort of <clears throat> inherited abuse and abuse through the ages and, and generations and how through alcoholism and other sort of mental illness, you can pass on this like, abusive behavior and it just like and tr- and and Danny in some ways trying to break that vicious cycle of mm-hmm. of abuse but you know the <laughs> that book is very different from the movie mm-hmm. i mean just in terms of you know i don't think kubrick ever met a novel he didn't like to completely destroy and make right. his own you right. know um although i think burgess liked the adaptation of clockwork orange I believe he did. The the problem, one of the things with Burgess is Burgess didn't really like his book. I mean, it's like his right. least favorite of his own. Book. Yeah, I think well, I think that's what I'm thinking too. Yeah, yeah it was like, sure, it was a good adaptation, but like, I don't, I don't care. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Burgess was probably. hammered when he wrote A Clockwork Orange. He yeah. was yeah. drunk, yeah, right. and then and, oh, and it, yeah. it followed on his wife was raped and they lost a child. So right. that book right. is like yeah, just pain, pain, max yeah. pain. Uh, I've got another interesting little factoid here. So even though he didn't read uh, the script, King's script, he still had questions for Stephen King. Right. Uh, So a now legendary story that King reportedly still tells at some of his book readings goes like this. Stanley Kubrick called him at seven in the morning. This is I. okay. little segue. I have an old timer friend in in New York City uh, who worked on practical effects. He worked on Rosemary's Baby. I may have told this story in the pod before, but uh, he worked on Rosemary's Baby. He worked on 2001 A Space Odyssey. And if you mentioned Kubrick, and this is at at a bar that I used to frequent, you mentioned Kubrick, he would just go, I hate him. hate that guy. He was the worst. <laughs> because, of course, Kubrick was in England and at would call at 8 in the morning on the button, you know, five days a week for months and we just give you an ear beating about the minutest detail. So this, I have a personal <laughs> anecdote that squares with this. Well, in, in any case, and of course, you got to imagine King is probably still in the throes of his alcoholism. I don't know when he sobered up, but Stanley Kubrick yeah. called him at seven in the morning to say that he believed ghost stories were fundamentally optimistic because the existence of ghosts suggests that humans survive past death. When King responded, "What the question of how?" Uh, with the question of how hell fit in into that picture, Kubrick simply responded, "I don't believe in hell." <laughs> well, didn't, didn't like, we... I, I'm a I'm a filmmaker. I don't believe in hell. Hell exists right. on Earth. Right, right. <laughs> My life every day. Um, I can attest to that as an actor. Certainly. Um, that's funny. Yeah, didn't we establish in the in the core episode on Kubrick that he was? Yeah, I mean, he, fundamentally, at the end, he was sort of just a rational materialist. That. I mean, you know, we he, he made these films that sort of explored extraterrestrial life and ghosts and things like that. But in the end, he he kind of. I think he was an avowed atheist. Yeah. So yes, I mean he was an extremely rational fellow, and yet he had he was able to turn that into these extremely dramatic and uh, yeah, it's it's no dismissing it. It's just just Mm. interesting that he sort of writes the best ghost story, you know, makes the best ghost story film, and probably doesn't believe in ghosts whatsoever, and you know, and. uh, you know, I guess you, you can be a. He may have very well believed in aliens, but um, I just find I just find that interesting. Hmm. Yeah, I don't think that it did particularly well at the box office. 
it it well no it wasn't a blockbuster but it was enough of a success to be a hit he made the movie for 19 million and it made 47 million so oh 19 million you, you can't do anything with 19 million now <laughs> <laughs> that's catering on a film million, now right was, you know for what they were trying to do it's amazing yeah. what he but all of those interiors were sets that wasn't mm. shot at the actual hotel. I went to that hotel, by the way, uh, the one in uh, Mount Hood, where mm. they shot all the exteriors. Um, mm. I took a trip to, to Oregon a number of years ago with my wife, and we drove this windy mountain road, and we played the Shining theme song as we drove it and into the mountains. <laughs> oh, that's and, cool. Um, yeah. And we and we came upon the the thing, the facade, and in that hotel, none of the interiors are the same. So you walk mm. in, and you're like. As soon as you walk into the hotel, you're like, wait, wait this isn't The Shining. So you, like, <laughs> you lose all sense of The Shining. Right. But the outside is very much like what it looked like uh, in a lot of ways. It's really funny. And um, But they have like a, a bar, um, really cool bar inside the hotel. And they sell like all these drinks named after characters from the movie. And uh, you can get T-shirts and all sorts of paraphernalia that say Overlook Hotel on them in the gift oh, shop cool. at the hotel. But um, yeah, that place is very eerie from the outside. But all the interiors that he shot it. I think I think most of them were on it were like built right as far as I know some of them maybe were shot inside another hotel I think I think that's right I think they were I think they were built. I think it was it wasn't it well let me let me look it up because I want to get it right but it wasn't it isn't there the famous studio outside of London uh where I think most of it was probably done uh yeah. let me when find they out. built that topiary maze didn't they build that from scratch that's that did not exist yeah. Yeah. So the opening scenes of The Shining were shot in Glacier National Park, Montana, USA. Timberline Lodge in Oregon was used for the exterior that's of the place. Yeah. Yeah, at Over Overlook Hotel. The interior scenes of some and some of the exterior scenes of the hotel took place at Elstree Film Studios hmm. in Borehamwood, Hertfordshire, England, UK. Hmm. So yeah. it sounds like most of the interior yeah, the interiors were done uh at these studios. Mm -hmm. Insane. So insane. <laughs> well, and of course, if you watch 237, there are people who have picked over every single inch of the Overlook to discover that it doesn't make sense. The diagrammatically, right. it doesn't work. And there, it creates this uncanny sense that is totally subconscious. Nobody's watching the film with a yardstick in their mind. But when he goes into the, the room with the, the general manager... Who has the you know the American little American flag and all sorts of other little bits and bobs on his desk? There's this window that shouldn't be there. This is bright mm -hmm. sun. It's like in the interior of the hotel. That window is it's an impossible window. Yeah, and also uh, Danny's Danny's course on his little tricycle thing doesn't quite work. His big wheel, right? Doesn't actually you can't actually do that sort of. Right. It doesn't make sense in space. And yeah, I think that is cool. Like it doesn't you don't really notice it, but it does. Like it's almost like having like a sub audible frequency. Like you do pick up pick up on it on some level. Some part of your brain knows something is off. Um, yeah, it's pretty cool. It's a little bit unsettling. And then that oh, speaks yeah. to the whole labyrinth nature, right? Where the film actually ends up. I mean, the the the, the topiary maze is not an accident that that's in there. By and totally invented by Stanley Kubrick. Yeah, that's not right. Right, right. Which is amazing. Exactly. The craziest thing about, I love that movie, 237. Also, we should note, I think, that 237 doesn't, doesn't claim that all of these things are true. It right. just is like, it's the kind of movie that can drive anyone to a psychosis about all of these, trying to find these things, which I think is what Kubrick was trying to do ultimately, mm -hmm. which is why it's so cool because it's like, it's, you're just chasing your tail forever trying to figure it out. But right. my favorite, 
thing that that movie, that the documentary 237 showed me that after seeing the movie a hundred times, I never noticed was when Danny and Wendy are watching television in the great room where like Jack is watching, Jack is writing his novel and they're watching a television program. There's no plug. The TV isn't plugged in. They're watching a full on TV show. Right. There's no plug. And he pans out from the TV. He's showing you there's no plug to that TV. So is the TV haunted? Are they haunted? Are they, what, what is, are they being, I like to think that that's like a moment where the ghosts are distracting them while they're working on Jack. And the idea that like, we sort of bury our head in the sands with like what's going on with like our loved ones, our kids. We Mm. don't realize the insanity going on around us when we get so invested in stupid shit and like the minutia of life. And like you could, so just to go off on a quick tangent here, you could relate that to almost as if Kubrick was like 40 years into the future, movies will be obsolete and everyone will be glued to their TV sets and completely obsessed with unreality on the TV. And that's all that people talk about. Like when you get together with people now, the first thing people talk about is what are you watching? What are you binging? Mm. What's the last show you watched? I mean, no matter who it is, it always comes up within like two minutes of conversation. People are like, mm. oh, I just finished this. And I'm down one. Oh, did you see the new episode of this? Do you see the new season of this? And mm. I just find it very interesting that like, you know, there's there's Wendy and and Danny just sitting and staring at this television that is getting its power from nothing. I don't remember mm. what they're watching. Well, and I I pulled it up right now, uh, oh, did you? so okay. I have a little interesting thing. Yeah, so many people have asked about the significance of the number forty two on Danny's t shirt in the mm. toothbrushing shining scene. Uh, and then this is somebody is coll- collative learning some article. This person says, "I don't go for number interpretations generally, but here I'll make an exception in the lobby." Danny and Wendy watch a film called Summer of 42, which is about a mm. young man who has an affair with an older woman. Mm. This is right before the fatherly love scene. The number Ooh, it just 42 got way creepier. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Thanks. Yep. The number 42 was shown on Danny's shirt as a parallel with the sexual relationship content of the film Summer of 42. And Danny is wearing it in the early summer scenes of the film. The particular scene from Summer of 42 that we see in the lobby television shows the older woman telling the young man to sit down while she makes lunch for him. Wendy parallels this in her last line of dialogue to Danny as he runs to get his fire engine. Make sure you come right back because I'm going to make lunch soon. The film within a film parallel is also hinted at by the television content initially filling up our entire view of the screen before zooming out to reveal Danny and Wendy in the lobby. The complete lack of wires running to the TV pointed out by my correspondents may also be related to the concept of a fractal film. These observations could easily be interpreted as evidence that Wendy has also had an incestuous relationship with Danny. But my guess is the older woman relationship refers to the woman in room 237, who we know is simply a dream manifestation of Jack. Okay. Wait, but doesn't explain why there's no power to the television. Right. Does it? (laughs) No. No. I watched that. Yeah. I mean, I think at that point, I think it's, it it relates to the whole Oedipal, um, I know that Kubrick was obsessed with Freud and the Oedipal complex and it's all throughout his movies, all that shit, all the, his weird relationship to women and sex. You can see it in everything from Clockwork Orange to Full Metal Jacket to Eyes Wide Shut, like every single movie, even Barry Lyndon, 
which by the way is fucking incredible. I saw Barry Lyndon, by the way, on a big screen in New York love, about four years ago. I love wow. Barry Lyndon. Wow. If anyone gets a chance to see that movie, that movie does not, you can't see that movie the way it's meant to be unless you see it on a big screen. The only way to see that movie is on a big screen and it'll, mm -hmm. it'll totally change your mind about him as a filmmaker, what the best Kubrick movie is. I walked out of that movie thinking that was my favorite Stanley Kubrick movie after um, seeing it on the big screen. No, it's still The Shining. But, <laughs> um, but I think that that's, you know, Kubrick had a demented relationship to women and sex in general. And it's, it's, yeah. Isn't, isn't there a theory about this whole incest theme coming up again in the film when Jack is reading a Playgirl in the hotel lobby and it's a Playgirl that has an article about incest in it? Oh because uh, I, I seem He's to like, recall that, yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so there's definitely something. And that's just a bizarre. I didn't. That's not something that I caught when I watched the film. I think in my head, he's, oh, he's just reading a magazine while he waits. And yeah, it turns out he's just sitting in the hotel lobby reading a play yeah, reading Playgirl. All things. Weird. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> much uh, detail and so interesting. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. but there is, I do like this idea that, because that, I thought before, like, okay, does the movie does the film work if you take out some of these details the 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 you know the whole there's a whole theory about how the film's really about like the westward expansion and the decimation of indigenous populations right there's like all these and and, and they're supported by these tiny little details and does the film kind of work if you take them all out in a sense it probably does but i do like it's a very writerly film in that that obsession that obsessiveness like it kind of goes all the way down right and and jack being a writer trying to write this great <laughs> this great work is also going to be similarly obsessed with details until he in this case his mind breaks right i mean there's also supernatural forces at work but um but that from that perspective it's like it's the it's a great novel it's a great film about trying to write a novel <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> like and it works on all levels it's not just about a guy writing a book it's about like the psychological process of trying to write a book it it's also about a dry drunk he yeah, doesn't have that's... any access to liquor but it doesn't matter he's already right. his he's it's all it's like he's already sold his soul he's ready to sell his soul and <laughs> it's this iconic scene at the bar in the gold room and uh yeah, people talk about that too. You talk to some some old time AA people, they'll 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 tell you like you can be yeah. you can be an alcoholic and not do the work, and your life yeah. won't get all the way better because it's a right. it's a way of being uh, as much as it is an addiction, which is one of the reasons it's so tricky to to beat. Uh sure, yeah. But don't you I think? Know. Don't you think a lot of that stuff too? I, I think you know, and I think that that's definitely in there, and that's definitely in the novel. I think Kubrick in like all his movies, and I think especially in The Shining, he has these like, it's all about the journey of, of man. Like that's his whole sort of like, and I'm I know he talks about this a bit, but like the journey of man, you see it in, <laughs> it's it's literal in 2001. Yeah, right. Even in his movies before then, in terms of like the you know, movies he made about war, or the film noir stuff that he made, even Spartacus, but it's like, it's usually like, and it's not the hero's journey. It's like the journey of the evolution of man and like trying to figure out like what it means to be a man in, in any society you're living in or any time period. So it's like the future, an alternate future, the present, the past, the recent past. And it's like, if you look at 
um, Here Delay in 2001 and what he goes through at the end. You look at Malcolm McDowell, you look at Matthew Modine in Full Metal Jacket where he, you know, his Matthew Modine's character from start to finish goes on quite a journey and, you know, sees a, a level of, and I think that what it is, is like every single one of those characters ends up seeing a level of deceit, degradation, like shittiness about human beings. And yet at the end is still standing, mm -hmm. even in the Shining's case, he's frozen, frozen in place. But he's still right. there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. but it's like all the, it's like, it, it constantly feels like in these movies and especially the shining, he's just grappling with what it means to be human in this skin bag that we live in <laughs> and like not being able to leave the body behind and think about what those spiritual connections are, what those energy connections are and how they kind of translate to existence, the whole idea of like perception is reality and our own mm -hmm. living inside our own heads. And you know, the reality that it exists for us is not actually reality because time isn't is circular, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not high at all, by the way. No, 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 no. Shining, although the yeah. best way to see the shining is high. It's I will true. admit that when I was watching yeah. it at my parents' house, I had smoked yeah. a joint and was sitting yeah. in their living room and I was high as a fucking kite. And then they came in and were like, Can we watch this with you. And I was like, right. It'll be interesting. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they were stone cold sober and still loved it. So you can, sure. you can enjoy that. But well, this uh, is by the, the way. The by the way, this is the place you get into when you're talking about a Kubrick film. Anyway, it does sound yeah, like you have high to be high. Yeah, it makes you seem yeah. high. Um, the, yeah. I will say on that note, in college, um, we got very into the whole experimentation of watching movies with alternate soundtracks. You know, once huh. the Wizard of Oz thing came out of Dark Side, sure. we did watch two Kubrick movies. Um, synced to uh the pink floyd album metal because they say that you can oh. sync metal i don't know if you can look this up you can sync metal to 2001 and you can sync metal to the shining man is it cool i highly mm. recommend uh, i don't know what the i don't know where the needle drop is you know sure like, sure the of Oz, it's like the third roar of the lion is right what you yes that one. right yeah but in but for metal, I don't know what it, you can look it up. But I do remember metal. that being a mm. cool experience. Huh? I had Very never, cool. I had never heard, heard of that. That's why. That's why yeah. you keep coming back to Art of Darkness, ArtofDarkPod.com. Yes. <laughs> well, we are going to we're going to cut to a quick break, but then for Patreon, come back and we're going to talk about that creepy final scene in Eyes Wide Shut. We're going to talk a little bit about Tarantino and his uh, perception of Kubrick. Oh, and we're for the talk Patreons, mm. they get to uh, see my little knickknack that I brought. Oh, ah, right, right. There's, There's a knickknack reveal. A knickknack, yeah, a knickknack reveal. And we'll talk about the onset drama in the making of The Shining. I have a, a, a something I kind of want to end on here uh, for the for the core, but before or for this main episode. Um, before I do, Michael, you want to tell people where they can find you one more time? Uh, tell them about your pod. Yeah, so you can find Playing Dead on all major platforms: Apple, Spotify, all those places. I think it just what do you do? You just type in my name or type in playing dead and you'll find it. Um, you can find me on Instagram M underscore Nathanson one. Oh no, I reversed it. That's my oh. Twitter handle. <laughs> uh, who know how many Michael Nathansons there were, but apparently there are a lot. I'm Michael underscore Nathanson on the gram and uh, on Twitter, which I feel like I may be leaving shortly. I'm just had it with that fucking dude. And yeah, that, that, that bird it, website just, is a lot. Uh, <laughs> yeah, today I, I was you. like, mm, the banning of the journalist was kind of the last straw for me, but mm. uh, for I, the I moment, it's only you can temporary, find me. but yeah. No. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter, M underscore Nathanson1. And yeah, 
Please listen to the podcast, rate it five stars if you love it. If you don't love it, rate it. Don't just leave and don't say anything. Right. Um, <laughs> right. You don't have to leave a snarky review. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And luckily, nothing is, that's not happened yet. But um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, you know, it'll I think come. Right. <laughs> I'm sure yeah, we have about uh, four episodes left. And then we're going to do a bonus episode, which was live from LA Comic Con with Keith David, which is very exciting. Um, but yeah, there's something for everybody in all those podcasts. So uh, yeah. tune in. I'm sure there's some bit of fandom that uh, will excite you. For sure. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, let me let me close out with this one final interesting fact, and then we'll cut to the uh, the after dark. So this is about the post edit re, uh, post release edit from The Shining. Uh, after its premiere and a week into the general run with a running time of 146 minutes, Kubrick cut a scene at the end that took place in a hospital. The scene shows Wendy in a bed talking with Mr. Ullman, who explains that Jack's body could not be found. He then gives Danny a yellow tennis ball, presumably the same one that Jack was throwing around the hotel. The scene was subsequently physically cut out of prints by projectionists and sent back to the studio by order of Warner Brothers. <laughs> this cut the film's running time to 144 minutes. And this is Roger Ebert saying, if Jack did indeed freeze to death in the labyrinth, of course his body was found, and sooner rather than later, since Dick Halloran alerted the forest rangers to serious trouble at the hotel. If Jack's body was not found, what happened to it? Was it never there? Was it absorbed into the past? And does this that explain Jack's presence in that final photograph of a group of hotel partygoers in 1921? Did Jack's violent pursuit of his wife and child exist entirely in Wendy's imagination or Danny's or theirs? Kubrick was wise to remove that epilogue. It pulled one rug too many out from under the story. At some level, it was necessary for us to believe the three members of the Torrance family are actually residents in the hotel during the winter, whatever happens or whatever they think happens. Mm. So, Well, but, mm. by the way, they talk about it in the in the movie that like, you know, this just keeps happening. Like, obviously, whoever is left there as the caretaker is going insane and killing. So it's yeah, about it's like it's like a role the caretaker passed the play. Or yeah, something. so they're yeah. all real. I, in my opinion, they're all real people. It just it calls to people, and I think what it does is you know, like all haunted places and all like and a lot of horror movies, like you feel that the characters are drawn there for some reason, mm -hmm. right? Like those, mm -hmm. and it preys upon weakness, and that's the other thing. It's like horror characters and everything, like especially like that movie It Follows, which is by the way. For my money, best modern horror movie of the last 20, 30 years. It's it very good. Very love good. it, love it, love it to death. But that movie too, it like preys upon bad choices, bad decisions, weakness. Um, mm -hmm. But I think that's where, where it comes from. But yeah, I'm so glad that scene doesn't exist. Has anyone ever seen that scene? Is it like available? Yeah, I mean, it was, I don't know if it's available digitally, but yeah, I mean, it, it went into the theatrical run and he had it cut physically. They got the call. The the projectionist wow. had to make this cut very Kubrick. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I think Ebert's point that it pulls one too many rugs is kind of good. Like, I mean, you know, whatever. I guess if it would have been in there, we would have sort of sorted it out. But like, it does feel like the film ends at this right note of uncertainty. And then you do that one and it's like, well, now I don't know where to stand when I'm trying to think about this film. Yeah. I think no, it's probably better without it. Good move, Stanley. Yeah. Yeah. Good move, Stanley. All right. Yeah, let's, he, it, uh, meets my, it meets my approval. Yeah. So. I approve. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He passes muster. Michael, thanks again for coming on. Let's talk for another 20, 30 minutes on the after dark. Uh, Michael Nathanson, actor, writer, producer, playing dead podcast. Axe drop. Cha. Thanks, guys. It was super fun. Thanks,